Hello and welcome to another episode of Extra Healthy Debates. I'm Anna Beryl, editor of Healthy Magazine, and today we're talking all things sleep. Essential but so often elusive, and when we don't get enough of it, everything else in our life suffers. The good news is that sleep therapist and yoga instructor, Risa Gabrielle, joins me today to offer advice and tools to get you closer to that good night's sleep. From how much you actually need and what can prevent you from getting it to the latest sleep tech, including a rather bizarre new robot to cuddle. But before we get started, a reminder that the latest issue and Christmas issue of Healthy is out now, with a special 33-page food supplement for all your festive needs. Now here's Risa and I. Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, Risa. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? Yeah, really well. So we're going to talk about sleep. Mm -hmm. So an obvious question, but a good place to start. Why do we need sleep? (laughs) Well, no, it is a really good question because sleep is this function that has been so overlooked by the scientific community and the well-being community for a really long time. And it's finally getting more attention. And it's really funny that it has been overlooked because sleep is... I mean, obviously, something that we all do. And it's vital. It's vital. Exactly. And it it takes up one third of our life. And it's strange that we kind of just like take it for granted. That it's this thing that we're just going to do and we're just going to be able to fall asleep. But it affects every single part of our life. It's not just something that, you know, it has to do with us being tired or being awake and that kind of feeling. It actually has to do with every single part of our body. You know, the different parts of sleep have, have either an effect on whether we have muscle repair and regrowth or whether we are repairing our memory. And the effects of not getting enough sleep can cause some long-term problems in terms of our health. So... Can you give us some examples? Yeah, definitely. I don't want to start off just like fear mongering, but yeah. you know, <laughs> we'll jump right into those. So, you know, obviously if you're not sleeping well, you're going to feel the effects. Like, let me just ask you, put you on the spot. How do you feel when you're not sleeping? Tired. And I am a bad sleeper. Okay. So feel quite drained. Yeah. Quite tired. Yeah. A little bit sluggish, if, especially if I haven't like gone for a run or something mm-hmm. like that, which is quite important to my day-to-day life. Yeah. So maybe there's also some physical effects of that. Like maybe we get that kind of twitching with the eyes a little yes. bit, or it's just harder to concentrate, like if we're at work, or maybe it's just like harder to make decisions. And it can have a knock-on effect in our personal life as well, whether it's with colleagues at work or at home with relationships. So there's all these little things that obviously has an impact on our mood too. But then when you go further down the road and you're looking at long-term sleep problems, the lack of sleep can be really connected to some much bigger problems. So there's a, there's a connection with lack of sleep and cardiac disease, um, with lack of sleep and diabetes. Harvard put out a report a few years ago tying lack of sleep into Alzheimer's. So that's what I was saying. I don't want to like scare us, but it is important to look at these things. Another thing to consider is, you know, when you're tired and you kind of crave more food? Yes. Yeah. Carbs. (laughs) Yeah. Always carbs. Usually the bad things that we don't want to be eating anyway. But it's because your body is actually producing a hormone called ghrelin. And this actually causes us to crave more energy and crave more food. So if you just have like one bad night of sleep and you're like, okay, I need more food. And like your body is really producing this hormone that is causing that. So that's really normal. But if night after night you're not getting enough sleep, then you are going to be at risk for maybe potentially weight gain and obesity. So it does have these really long-term, you know, knock-on effects that we have to consider. And is it a myth that if you've, say, had some poor night's sleep during the week, we always think, 
come Saturday, I can catch up. <laughs> yeah. But that is a myth, right? It is a myth. You can't technically catch up on sleep. If you've, if you've been off kilter and you've, you know, had bad sleep, you're not going to actually make up for the lack of sleep. You can, you know, start to get back on a better schedule. It's it's kind of like I always compare it to if you're a smoker and you you quit smoking, you're not going to necessarily um, make up for all those years that you that you were a smoker, but you can start to repair and get back onto a better sta- a better place. Yeah. And so why do you think so many people struggle with getting to sleep? I think our society right now is really not well designed for humans getting a good night's sleep. It's, Do you think it's more of a modern day issue? I, I definitely, um, 100%. I mean, everything in our day-to-day life is designed to keep us awake, whether it's the lights, whether it's our technology. And if you think about it, it's really strange. Like humans are literally the only animal that procrastinates sleep. Every other animal out there, when they're tired, they go to sleep. It's like built into yeah. our system. But why do humans, you know, we will purposely stay awake even yeah. if we want to go to sleep. We're Whether, so regimented in that way, aren't we? Yeah, and we will we'll push our boundaries. You know, we know we're tired, but we'll think, oh, I just need to finish a little bit more work or I need to stay up and um, finish watching Game of Thrones or whatever it is. <laughs> and we will push ourselves past our limits. Whereas other animals, when their body is telling them to go to sleep, they will just naturally let themselves go to sleep. So everything in our society right now allows us, even if you're not a night owl, we get this thing like kind of faux night owl effect because of the lights, because of going out with friends late, because of you know all of our technology that keeps us awake later. And the age old question, quality versus quantity. Mm. How much sleep should we be getting? Is it individual? Mm -hmm. How do we know? Well, so it's not such a matter of, you know, I have to be getting this amount of sleep, but you can be getting less sleep and the sleep you can be getting is more productive. So I want to put this question back to you. How many hours of sleep do you think you need to get at night? For me personally, I need seven. Okay. If I get under seven, I'm cranky. Okay, great. So you kind of know that about yourself, right? And then if I ask most people, like when I go and do these big workshops at corporates and I ask people, how many hours of sleep do you need per night? Most people will say eight. It's kind of been, you know, just told to us. It has. It's something (laughs) that everyone thinks eight hours sleep. Eight hours of sleep. It's like an apple a day. Yeah. And that's really common because eight is this average number that comes between seven and a half and nine. And the reason that I'm using those numbers is because those are both nine minute increments that add up from 90 minutes. Our sleep cycles happen in 90 minute cycles. Okay. So what's interesting, if you're saying, you know, you don't really have the best sleep, I'd be curious for you to try getting seven and a half hours of sleep. Okay. What's happening when you wake up after seven hours or even eight hours is you're waking up in the middle of a sleep cycle. Right. So you're technically not going to feel as awake as if you woke up towards the end of a sleep cycle. You're going to have this sleep inertia towards the end of this like more grogginess. I used to always think that I needed eight hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. Just like that's what I needed. Hands down, I needed eight hours. And when I started sleeping more in tune with my 90 minute increments and sleeping seven and a half hours, I realized that, oh, okay, I actually feel much more awake. And that doesn't mean you set your alarm for like the exact amount of time of seven and a half, you know, you give yourself a little bit more time to wind down. But then what I notice now is because I've become so accustomed to sleeping seven and a half hours that I'll even wake up a little bit before my alarm clock. So if I set my alarm for seven hours and 45 minutes to give myself that little time to toss and turn and wind down in the evening, I still wake up at seven and a half hours, like just more naturally now. And that's even on a weekend? Even on a weekend, we want to try to keep a routine. 
I know that's easier. easier said than done. Um, But what I tell my clients is, you know, if you want kind of the lion effect on the weekend, you can get up at your normal time, do part of your morning routine, like get up, you know, brush your teeth, um, you know, get your cup of water, whatever you have first thing in the morning, and maybe then get back into bed and cozy up and relax or go on the couch and, you know, snuggle and watch something on TV. And you can still have that kind of lion effect without actually going back to sleep. And can you reset your sleeping clock? Well, this is really interesting. We are very individual in terms of our sleeping clock. So first of all, talking about our sleeping clock, that goes back to this idea of our circadian rhythms, Mm -hmm. you know, our body clock, our internal 24-hour clock. Although Matthew Walker's book recently about why we sleep had this really interesting study in it that talked about our clock is actually maybe a bit more skewed to even 25 hours. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. They did this this study where they put people in a dark room and actually, you know, looked at their clock and how it worked. But our body clock is the thing that tells us not just when it's time to sleep, but when it's time to eat, all these different things in the day. And then within that, we have our chronotypes, which really directs what type of person we are in terms of our sleep. So whether we're a morning person, a night owl, or maybe somewhere in between. Do you know which one you're more attuned to? I'm definitely a night owl. Yeah, me too. Totally. And it's, it's really a shame that our society is built completely in favor of morning people. I yeah. mean, there's just no denying that, you know? And and so night owls kind of get a bad rap. That Definitely. We're, <laughs> that we're lazy because we're not up first thing in the morning. And I'm so unfounded. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's just different. People have different times of day when, when they function better. My husband's a complete morning person. And by 10 o'clock at night, he's falling asleep on the sofa. And we're just... And you're still married. And, and, we're, and, I'm still, <laughs> and we're still married. And hopefully, you know, when we have kids one day, that'll be a good thing because I'll take the night shift and he can take the morning shift and that'll be You've fine. You've got all bases covered. Yeah, Exactly. But, you know, but it can, it can be complicated. But what's important to note is that this sleep type that we all have is actually built into our genetic code. So it's not something that you can just, just change like that. And it's really kind of segmented in society. There's probably about 40% of people that are morning people, 30% that are night owls, and 30% that are somewhere in between. And, you know, I was saying before about that kind of faux night owl effect. More of us can kind of get skewed to being a little bit more night owl-y just because we're on our technology later and later or we're staying up to have, you know, outings with friends in the evening and, and that sort of thing. So it's important to be aware of your chronotype, not to feel like you're trapped in it, but just to kind of be aware of it. So if you know you're a night owl, know some things that you can do to help yourself wake up easier in the morning. And likewise, if you know you're a morning person, how to let yourself wind down at night the right way, and just those different things that we can do. And does what you're doing in the day, can that affect your sleep? 100%. So there's a lot of there's a lot of focus put on our bedtime routine, which is great. A bedtime yes, routine, which we're going to go which into, we're go into and that's really important. But what I think happens is what happens in the, the talk about sleep and the talk about wellness around sleep is that there's so much focus put around the bedtime routine that people forget that daytime is as important, if not more important. I always tell my clients that a good night's sleep starts the moment you wake up. Okay, so can you talk us through what can kind of have an impact and what we should be doing? Yeah, there. I mean, I could spend hours doing that. So I'll try to, <laughs> I'll try to make it quick. But basically we're talking about the different things that, you know, drive our sleep. So we have, are we talking about circadian, you know, our circadian rhythms, our body clock. Um, there's our homeostasis system, which is this idea of sleep pressure and our sleep pressure builds up um, throughout the day and is only then relieved by falling asleep at the end of the day. Okay. But there's things that we can do that will counteract 
the sleep pressure. Um, so we have to be aware of the time of day that we're having caffeine and having different stimulants that can actually push that back. Um, likewise, we have a hormone called melatonin that mm -hmm. is released as the day goes on more and more in the evening, peaking around two or three in the morning. And melatonin is that hormone that basically just strips in and tells us it's time to sleep, it's time to sleep. Not so much a driver of sleep, but more of a reminder of sleep. But different things that we do in our day can actually inhibit the melatonin production, such as looking at our phones before bed. Um, the time of day that we exercise is really important. We want to make sure we're winding down the body and preparing it for sleep and not exercising really late at night, which will just wake us back up again. So what kind of time should we be exercising or is there a cutoff where we shouldn't be exercising after a certain yeah, point? Yeah, that's definitely something to look at. So I mean, the, the best thing to do is exercise in the morning. Mm -hmm. Now, if you if you and I are not morning people, and we don't love exercising in the morning, um, you know, you can exercise on your lunch break or right after work. You don't want to exercise and do really high intensity things super late at night. Okay. So I would say probably not past 7 p.m. doing anything really intense. Right. Depending on your bedtime, that is. Like if you're someone who goes to bed earlier, then I would say you know, even earlier than that, you want to have a cutoff. For instance, I teach a yoga class at 8 p.m. and we never do inversions or headstands or anything intense at that time because I know how invigorating those things are. Yeah. Um, so I get really wary of like things where you have like a super dynamic class at eight or nine or like 24 hour fitness, please don't sue me 24 hour fitness. <laughs> but um, I just think that's crazy. You know, why Why yeah. do you want to work out in the middle but of the night? But it's so hard because a lot of, you know, working people, that is their time slot to fit Definitely. those exercise classes in. Yeah. And you don't want to say like, don't exercise at all because exercise is, can be such a friend and uh, to sleep and can really help us. But what you could be doing is actually completely debilitating your sleep. If you're, you know, you exercise because you think you're doing good things for your body, but it could be setting you off track in your sleep. So it's just a matter of trying to fit it in at different times. The other thing that's important to note, exercise in the morning doesn't have to be, you know, getting up and doing a bunch of cardio or doing some big high intensity thing. It can be as simple as just doing some movement, just getting the body up. You know, there's a sequence that we do in, in yoga that can just like make yourself like waking up in the morning, get the body in tune and just telling the body that it's time to be awake and start to move. And there's different things you can do to give it those cues. So it doesn't actually have to be some big thing. And come evening, mm -hmm. how important is that routine? Um, it's, it's pretty important in terms of, so th here's the thing. I don't like to give people dogma and I don't like to say you have to do X, Y, and Z because as, as we're talking about in our modern lives, it's not always possible. And especially in a city like London, from one night to the next, we're doing so many different things. There is one rule, though, that I would give people, okay. and that is to get your phone out of the bedroom. Right. So yeah. what time are we talking? I would say at least 30 minutes before bed. Okay. So do you, like, do you use your phone as your alarm clock? Guilty. Yes. And that's, I'm only saying that not to put you on the spot, but just to highlight that that is totally normal. Um, when I do workshops, it's usually 90% of the people are using their phone as their alarm clock. It's so hard to now, isn't it? I mean, your phone is And is it's your a perfectly life. good it's, alarm clock. Yeah. yeah. And we take it everywhere. We take it in the bedroom to the bathroom. <laughs> we take it everywhere. So... It's just a really good thing, though, to get it out of the room. You've probably heard about blue light from the phone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
And blue light is 50% more potent than other light. So what that means is that you might be able to look at your phone right before bed and think, well, I can look at my phone and still fall asleep. So what's the big deal? What's the problem here? But that light is having such a deeper impact that it is actually inhibiting our melatonin production. So earlier when I was talking about that sleep hormone, what's going to happen is that half-life from your blue light, it has a half-life. Even though you can fall asleep, it's going in and inhibiting your melatonin production. So it's stopping you from dropping into your deep anabolic sleep state. So you might fall asleep just fine, but then you're not actually sleeping well or deeply. Okay. And a lot of um, kind of apps are now coming with a kind of dark screen mode. Mm-hmm. Is that something we should be doing? Does I mean, that it's... Help? If you're going to be looking at your phone still a few hours before bed, it definitely doesn't hurt. It's definitely like, you know, putting night shift on your phone or downloading one of the apps that helps reduce blue light. It, it certainly can't hurt, but it's not an either or. You know, I would still say get the phone out of the room. This is talking more about the bedtime routine also and why it's so important. So it's like I... I put my phone to bed in another room. I just do you say so yes. you keep it completely separate from the yeah, bedroom. Yeah, so like before I go to bed, before I do my thirty, you know, and I say at least thirty minutes because I want to give people a practical guideline that they're actually going to do. If yeah. I tell people ninety minutes, they're not going to do it. I want to, you know, tell people something that's actually doable. So you know, put your phone whether it's the kitchen, your office, your hallway, whatever it is, put it to bed, and then steal back these thirty minutes for yourself. When you think about all the things that we do in the day that are 30 minutes, whether it's scrolling through social media or things you do for work or something that you do for somebody else, taking 30 minutes back for yourself really isn't that crazy, is it? No. So it's just like, and it's a nice little bit of self-care. And then within that 30 minutes, that should be screen-free. So not just the phone, but computer, TV, iPad, even I would say Kindle, if you like to read okay. before bed, I would recommend just having a really dim light next to your bed and going back to a proper book. A proper book. And ideally something nonfiction, like not a the girl who did this, you know, kind of page turner. Just okay. something that you can kind of start to switch off. And if people say, Oh, well, I like to read on my phone or my Kindle, we'll get another book that's just for bedtime. And then that also signals to your brain, when I read this book, I'm starting to wind down for sleep. And then within those 30 minutes, you do your night routine. And that could be very individual for everyone. So maybe it's your skincare routine. Um, It can be things that sound, frankly, really boring. It might be lying out your clothes for the next day, (laughs) you know, stuff you did as a kid. Very organized. Oh, and I believe me, that's not me. I'm a (laughs) night owl creative. I'm not that person. But it's very meditative things that you are doing that help your body and your brain unwind. Or it might be the time of day that you do those boring chores that you put off earlier in the day, like unloading the dishwasher and things like that, because it's just getting yourself to really like switch off. Um, Also, it can just be doing some simple movements to stretch tension out of your body. So I trained in a program called Super Sleep Yoga and when I did my sleep therapy. And we actually have within that a sequence that you do before bed. And it's not a matter of like rolling out a yoga mat or putting on clothes. It's super accessible. You just do it on top of your bed or next to your bed on the carpet and you know in your room and it's just these stretches that you do that literally stretch like move the tension out of your body so you can release and go to sleep and are you working on breathing as well yeah and then and then I teach breathing as well so there's different breath techniques so I was just at the somnic sleep show this weekend and I did a whole workshop on breathing and relaxation techniques for sleep so there's different breath and and um, marma points which are kind of like acupressure techniques that you can use for yourself and actually help walk yourself down for sleep. 
And just thinking about those routines, does something like having a bath where your temperature is artificially raised, does that help? Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because we don't actually want to raise our temperature right before bed. We want to help the body temperature drop down before bed. a bath is great thing to relax, but if you do it, I would do it a little bit earlier in so the So that you've evening. got that rise and then you've got the drop. Mm-hmm. And then you have you the drop. Yeah. For your exactly. Because you know when you get out of a bath, and I don't know about you, but this happens to me, and you get out and you're like, oh my God, I'm just laying on my bed trying to cool oh, off. Yeah. Again. <laughs> it's like it almost gets you too hot sometimes. So that's a great thing to do maybe a few hours before bed or right after work or, you know, after dinner. But you don't want to do it like right before bed. And we've all been there where, you know, it's three or four a.m. We're awake. Mm-hmm. We start worrying that we've got to get up in mm-hmm. three hours or whatever yeah. it may be. And you kind of go into that vicious cycle. Yeah. Does your mindset play a part in your ability to sleep? Definitely. And this is where, you know, the breathing techniques and those different things can really be useful because it gives your brain a distraction from from that from those things. What's also really useful is having a a sheet of paper next to your bed. And this can work when you wake up at that time at three and four in the morning or even before you go to sleep because a lot of people just complain that they're tossing and turning when they're trying to fall asleep. And having a sheet of paper next to your bed where you just jot down almost as like a to-do list style of the things that are keeping you awake. And this isn't journaling. I love journaling, but I'm a morning pages person. I actually don't love the idea of journaling before you go to bed because I think it churns up a lot of things. This is just literally a to-do list. So it's like if you know you have a meeting tomorrow and you have a meeting with Joe and you would just write the name Joe down. Um, If you know you have to buy flowers, you might write that down. If you know whatever it is, you're just going to make a tiny little note about that thing. And then that way it kind of serves dual purpose because there's a huge power in getting this stuff out of your head and down on paper. And then in the morning, you also have a little to-do list when you wake up. It can seem counterintuitive to kind of turn on the light and write things down when you're trying to sleep, but it's actually really, really beneficial to get this stuff out of your head and down on paper. Definitely. Now let's talk sleep tech. Mm -hmm. What are your opinions on kind of sleep tech? Does it work? Is it beneficial? And what kind of sleep tech is available to us? There is so much new sleep tech emerging now. I haven't tested all of it yet. I'm at the point where I'm about to start testing some new sleep tech out. Um, I am really curious to learn more about like the frit the frictionless tech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should I say that again? The frictionless tech that's out there. Not give myself word a, to say. a tongue twister. But um, that means, you know, things that don't require to have a screen in the room. Because okay. there's a lot of tech right now that's connected to your phone and that's app-based. And, no, and that kind of seems a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Well, I have a lot of clients that will tell me, oh, I've been using this app on my phone and um, I know that my sleep's not good and da 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 and I'm like, okay, well, what are you doing with that data? Well, nothing. Okay. Well, if you're, if you're looking at this data night after night, but you're not actually changing your habits. What's the point? Get the phone out of the room. Yeah. You know, you, or you've seen the data. Great. You've been using it for a month, a few months, and you know now what's going wrong. Then let's actually talk about changing your habits around it. But there's a lot of tech now. There's a, there's a ring you can wear called the Aura Ring, and that just, goes into your finger and has these little pressure points and that tracks things on your body without having to have an app and it's not quite as clumsy as maybe having uh, something around your wrist although there are some great watches and things as well um 
I think I was mentioning to you before about the sleep robot. Which I'm very interested in. <laughs> I yes. am as well. The prototypes are coming out next month, so I'm going to get to try one out. I've, I've met it at the sleep show. So what what did it look like? Did you try it out? It's kind of this half moon shaped pillow and you hold it against your belly. And it's not robotic in the sense that it, it's not meant to look like a human or anything, but it moves with you. So when you turn it on, it breathes with you and you put your hands around its belly, if you will, right. and it goes in and out and it basically mimics the rate of, sl- of breathing that will calm your own breath down. Wow. Okay. So, so the idea is that you're in bed, mm-hmm. you're hugging the robot you're or hugging, you just have it near You're hugging the robot. So you say you're a side sleeper, you would just kind of almost like spoon the robot. <laughs> and it's not, it's not big. It's quite little. It fits along your belly. Um, and, and you would have your hands around it and where you have your hands around it, that would breathe the robot's you know, belly would breathe in and out. Wow. And yeah, it's interesting. And they can also play music, like soothing music or white noise, I think, and that sort of thing. And likewise, I met um, a woman who had invented a teddy bear for kids, um, Max Mind Power. And that teddy bear does a similar thing where kids can cuddle with it and it, you squeeze its paw and it breathes with the children. Oh, that's great. I think that's can a be great really, idea. Really great for children. So definitely. Yeah. And just kind of just to recap, mm-hmm. um, what is your kind of how to get to sleep checklist? I I really like to, as I said, look through the whole day. So when I work with clients, there's a big list that we look at in terms of daytime and nighttime reflections. When I work with one-to-one clients, uh, we work together for at least four weeks and we start to drill down into everything. But I would be, if you're just talking about, you know, a bedtime routine specifically, then I would be looking at, you know, getting the phone out of the room, having something nice that you do before bed that winds you down. But even going back a little bit earlier than that, making sure you're eating at the right time of day, not too close before bed, making sure you're not having caffeine too late. What When you say too late, what, mm-hmm. what kind of times are we talking? Um, you want to make sure you've had dinner at least two hours before okay. bed. You don't want to go to bed on a, on a full stomach. No. And it depends on what you're eating as well. You know, if you're having meat, that takes longer to process in the, in, and digest. And similarly with alcohol, you don't, you know, the idea of a nightcap, it might make you feel sleepy, but it will keep you up. You know, caffeine, these, these things have half-lives as well. So I, it's a, it's a constant thing. You know, you talk to people that have coffee and they say, well, I can have coffee after dinner and still fall asleep. But because of the half-life of caffeine, it's, it is affecting the quality of your sleep. So it's just to be really attuned to how much caffeine you're having in the time of day. And in a country like the, like, you know, the UK where we have so much tea. Yes. Just being really mindful of the time of day that we're having our last little bit of caffeine because all these little things that we're doing throughout the day can be impacting our sleep and we just may not and be we aware. And don't, we don't think about that really, no, do we? No, And I guess if you are someone who suffers from insomnia or other sleep yeah. conditions, how um, can you manage the effects during the day? Because obviously they will have an impact. Yeah. So that is, I'm really glad you asked about that because for me, sleep is not a matter of getting always a perfect night's sleep. And it's it's really, 
we're human and we're, we're going to have bad night's sleep. It's still going to happen. You know, even if you try to do everything right, you know, you're still going to have a bad night's sleep once in a while. So it's really important to look at, well, what can I do when that's happened? So a lot of it is looking at, okay, if you, if you struggle to wake up in the morning, for instance, if you're a chronic snooze presser, well, you can do things in the morning that can help. Like I like to do a restorative yoga pose in the morning. Okay. Have you, have you ever done yoga where you put your legs up the wall? No, I haven't. Okay. So you can, we can, I can show you a picture if anyone's listening, Google legs up the wall yoga. You can do legs up the wall on your headboard, for instance. So you kind of just turn your body around and put your, your bum towards your headboard and your legs up your headboard. Yes. I'm with you. You move your pillow. So instead of being at your headboard, your pillow goes behind you and you could do that for the length of a snooze press. So rather than pressing snooze repeatedly, you could do that. And that's such a restorative pose that holding that for nine minutes is much better than going back into a sleep cycle. Because as we were saying, our sleep cycles are 90 minutes. Going back into one for nine minutes and pressing it again and again, it's like torturing yourself. It's like dunking your head in and out of water again and again. Like, why would we do that? So there's different things like that. Also, just making sure you get rest throughout the day. What we tend to do in our society now is that we run through the day nonstop, and then we finally crash a night, and we wonder why we feel so awful. So we want to build in time in the day to get a little rest. And I know that can sound impossible when we're working nonstop or when we have a family, but it can be really simple. It might be, you know, as I'm saying, doing a kind of restorative yoga pose for five minutes, or it can be maybe using a meditation app and sitting outside somewhere quietly for 10 minutes and listening to your Headspace app. Or it might be if you have a bit more time doing a yoga nidra. Um, do you know what yoga nidra I do, is? Yes. Okay, cool. So that's yogic sleep and 30 minutes listening to one is equivalent to getting one or two hours of sleep. So that can really supplement. It's also important if you've had a bad night's sleep to make sure you're eating the right things the next day. So we were talking about how we maybe crave carbs, but we want to maybe eat more um, the right proteins or, or certain things that can help boost our sleep rather than just go to the sugar cravings. Amazing. Some great tips there, which I will definitely personally be taking on board as well. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And if you're interested in learning more about this, I am doing some sleep workshops in London this autumn. So if anyone is around and wants to come, I have one in Brixton coming up on the 17th of November at Yoga Point Studio. And I have one in Hackney at Supply Yoga on the 2nd of December. And I also work with clients privately as well. Amazing. And we'll put all the details for that in our show notes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That was sleep therapist, Risa Gabrielle. Now I'm joined by producer Jack Feeney. Hey. Hey. So Jack, are you a good sleeper? I'm an okay sleeper. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that I've, I used to struggle with quite a lot. So, because I'm more of a night owl. So I used to stay up quite late doing work, playing video games, reading or something. But um, no, something I've got a lot better at recently because I feel like I've become more disciplined in my bedtime routine. So what takeaways did you take from Risa? Um, So the first thing I took away, which kind of makes sense now, and I can't believe I haven't worked it out until this point, but it was that genetics is the thing that really dictates whether we're a morning person or a night owl. And so I said, I'm a night owl. So, and I've tried to make changes before to get up earlier, to be more of a morning person, but I haven't been able to do it. It's always something that I fell out of doing. Um, 
I, th- I guess it's like trying to change any habit, like unless it's really grounded in your daily routine and the kind of person that you are, it's going to be really difficult to change. So the thing I took away from the conversation you had the most was that you kind of need to work with the foundations that you already have. So if you are, if you know you're a morning person, then you kind of got to kind of accept it and work with it. And that's such a relief as well, isn't it? it? Is. Rather than yeah. trying to change yourself into something that you're not, just yeah. acknowledging, hey, I'm not a morning person. There's no point in me setting my alarm for 6am yeah. to go to the gym. I'll just go after work. It should just bring you a, like a really good sense of relief that it isn't something that you have to change. And the more you try to change it, the more difficult it's probably going to become. So... I've decided now that I'm just going to work with what I have. If there are times where I need to get up a little bit more earlier or I need to try and change something, I'm not going to try and do it dramatically. Like I'm not going to try and get up at six o'clock in the morning, for example, whereas I would usually get up at like half past seven. Maybe try getting up just half an hour earlier you know, rather than going the, you know, the full hog. So that's the main takeaway I took. The other thing I found interesting was the 90 minute sleep cycle. Yes. So yeah, that... It's, it's almost common knowledge that you get, you're supposed to get eight hours of sleep, but because our bodies don't work in that time scale, you know, we work in 90 minute cycle. So the natural amount of sleep you should have is either nine hours or seven and a half hours. Yeah. So that's Which something you, that I'd never thought of before. I didn't know no, this. No, I didn't either. So again, that's something that I've taken away and will introduce into my own schedule. So now I'll probably aim to get seven and a half hours sleep and I'll report back maybe soon to see if I feel any better in the morning. Yeah. So they're the routines I'm going to take away from this. And I think I'm going to be including some of those into my routine as well to hopefully get a better night's sleep. So that was a sleep episode of the Extra Healthy Debates. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.